All right. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to pick up where we were on Wednesday evening. Not often that we have a chance to do that, but we are this evening. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. If you're with us on Wednesday, we parsed that passage together. If you had a chance to go back, I'd encourage you to back and listen to it. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19 is where we'll begin. And uh, really, I even told those that were with us on Wednesday, this is a teaser for where we'll be this evening. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19, we'll read that here in a moment. We're going to ask this question as we begin. How does God speak today? And maybe more specifically, does God directly speak to people in their minds and in their hearts? Now this, in my estimation, is a very big topic for our day. If you walk into a bookstore and peruse through the Christian section there, you'll find a lot of work submitted by people who really do think they've written with full spiritual insight based on a message they got directly from God. Of course, the authors that are inevitably impervious to critique or correction are people who claim that what they have written was given them directly by God, and thereby you cannot even question that. And there are a lot of people like that out there. And the major problem with modern charismatic prophecy is that in that worldview, the text of Scripture is always pliable. The messages they receive always seem very pliable and easy to be maneuvered. The meaning of the message changes to meet different circumstances. There is no legitimate hermeneutical approach for interpreting messages you think come directly from God, and because there's no normal, normative, hermeneutical approach, there's no way to really quantify or clarify what they mean. And the meaning of any message you think comes from God is treated like a clay figure. You can move him or mold him to fit whatever modern times you may be in, and you bend it and shape it into any form that may please you. So the question, how does the Spirit speak, that we're seeking to answer today, is a very important question. We know, I trust you could agree, that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. He is part of the Trinity. He is God. We looked at that last week. But how does the Holy Spirit specifically speak? There are some famous examples of this kind of malleable prophecy that I just spoke of. Thomas Brightman, who lived from 1562 rather to 1607, has been called one of the fathers of Presbyterianism in England. He predicted that between 1650 and 1695, we would see the conversion of many Jews and a revival of their nation in Palestine, the destruction of the papacy, the marriage of the Lamb and his wife. We're in 2023, for those that weren't paying attention And uh, that hasn't yet happened, but still, that's what he predicted. More modernly, the the founder of the Calvary Chapel system, Chuck Smith, published the book End Times in 1978. On the jacket of his book, Smith said, and I quote, If I understand scripture correctly, Jesus taught us that the generation which sees the budding of the fig tree, the birth of the nation of Israel, will be the generation that sees the Lord's return. I believe that that generation of 1948 is the last generation, since a generation of judgment is 40 years and the tribulation lasts seven years. I believe the Lord would come back for his church any time before the tribulation starts, which would mean any time before 1981. Well, we're in 2023. 
Oral Roberts claimed, if you know him, Oral Roberts claimed he saw a vision of a 900-foot Jesus with his, quote, inner eyes, that God would have him build a massive health care facility in Oklahoma. He actually did build that health care facility. It opened its doors in 1981. In 1983, Roberts claimed Jesus commissioned him to find a cure for cancer. Unfortunately for the so-called prophet, the facility closed its doors in 1989. He died in 2009, and no cure for cancer has yet been found. Now, what is the result of each of these men being so desperately wrong? What is the result? Honestly, not much. Each of them continued to have great earthly success and large followings. The result really is nothing. You have this almost invincible gullibility that has infected the modern charismatic movement. And it has created an environment in which virtually anyone can make any prophecy he wants, and someone, usually lots of people, take it seriously. And if it turns out to be wrong, maybe even famously wrong, people will forget or reinterpret the prophecy. And yet the idea that God speaks routinely to his people has found directly to them, rather, has found more widespread acceptance today in the evangelical movement than probably at any other time in the history of evangelicalism. And this notion that God speaks directly to his people outside of Scripture is found in some surprising places. It's not only charismatics who believe God speaks fresh words of prophecy to them. I was surprised to discover that Joanna Gaines, of all people, of the popular HGTV show Fixer Upper, said she heard God's voice clearly tell her to start that show. That's how she started it. Bill Hybels wrote an entire book teaching how to hear a whisper from God. And he wrote in that book, quote, On day three of my writing, the Holy Spirit impressed the following message on me. I am going to release you from the responsibility of leading this youth group so you can start a church, end quote. God's Spirit directly spoke to him. Francis Chan said that his theology, quote, left room for hearing directly from God. During the Send Revival, a pre-rally in January 19, Chan, Chan said that he was given a room for an hour alone to commune with God in Scripture and prayer, alone for an hour. During that hour, he was in a meditative stance, he said, and after that meditative moment, Chan divulged exact words God had said to him during those meditations. That's almost creepily similar to Muhammad, quite frankly, but that was 2019. Beth Moore has been touting this since very early in her ministry, though more famously of late. But here are some statements from her 2000 book entitled Praying God's Word and her 2002 book entitled When Godly People Do Ungodly Things, some of her very first books. Beth Moore says, here's some quotes. Before God tells me a secret, he knows up front I'm going to tell it. God and I have that kind of an agreement. Here's another quote. God compelled me to ink it on paper with a force unparalleled. Almost a claim for divine inspiration. Here's another quote. I didn't ask to write some of the kinds of messages God has appointed me 
to write. Another quote. Because God chose to supply me with unsolicited data, I now write this book. Another quote. I also love how I could tell by the sweet tone of the silent voice whispering to my spirit that he was smiling on my work. End quote. Now, undoubtedly, you have heard people say these kind of things. For example, God has spoken to me and he has told me to do fill in the blank. Or, Pastor, God has told me that our church needs to go in this direction. It's just ubiquitous out there in the evangelical world. It is everywhere, whatever evangelical may mean nowadays. That God speaks to people in still small voices, dreams, hunches, and prophecies. You heard this so commonly that have you ever wondered, why is it that they get to hear all this and I don't? You ever wonder that sometimes? Or why didn't I hear God speak to me that way? Is there something wrong with my relationship with God that I don't get the sense that God's smiling in my presence like Beth Moore does? Do people hear these things that claim to hear them just have a closer walk with God than the rest of us? I want to point out to you that these kinds of messages that God spoke directly to me only differ in degree and not really in kind from Oral Roberts' 900-foot statue of Jesus' vision. They are the same thing. And I hope this message will encourage you as we look to God's word alone as the source of God's revelation to us. This belief in extra-biblical revelation is at odds with the biblical principles of sola scriptura, which is a fancy way of saying the Bible alone. Here's what 2 Peter, which we parsed out in full on Wednesday night, says in verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time, but the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is our Scripture. And because that is true, I really want to dig into this idea because of its increasing importance in our day. Number one, we must reject subjective impressions as being from God. If you seek private revelation from God or urges to tell you what to do, you have abandoned the principles of Scripture alone. Experience and subjective impulses are not prophetic and they are not authoritative. If you get a feeling you should do something, there is no authority behind it because there is no command in Scripture that you should follow feelings. In fact, Scripture warns you about following feelings. And these mental impressions are not trustworthy and contain far more potential for mischief than they do for any good. It's unfortunate how much interest and energy has been spent in our day trying to decipher and understand subjective revelations, whether they come to them through a still small voice or the speaking of so-called tongues. Now please understand that even good people, even good, well-intended people 
to believe prophecy has ceased, not charismatics, can have this tendency to fall into the trap of thinking that God is speaking directly to us through subjective means. Even those who would not say they're charismatics may still fall into this trap. Well-meaning Christians often think that in order to understand God's will on a given matter, they need to have some kind of divine impression or strong feeling, and they will interpret that strong feeling as a direct disclosure of God's will to their hearts. For example, suppose I started my message this morning or this evening this way. This is a clip from Francis Chan. Oh, man. Amen. That is everything I'm praying for right now. Everything, Terry. I, I believe that was an anointed prayer. I believe what Dusty just shared came from God. I don't want to interrupt that. I want to move along and say this is part three to what you just heard. I, I don't want to take us in a different direction because I believe God spoke to me through you, uh, Dusty, through Randy. I'm sitting there going, Lord, this is, this is something bigger than what I expected. I really believe exactly what Terry was just praying that God wants to do bigger things than just the message I have, you know, and I believe sovereignly, I, I left my notes over there. You, you know, I, I just realized I got so into what you're saying and what the Spirit was doing that I'm just going, you know what, there's something going on here, and I want to have the courage to say what I need to say, uh, what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. So it sounds really good. I'm just going to, the Lord spoke to me. I don't need my notes anymore. I'm going to speak directly. Here, here, what if I started my message this way? Here's a clip from Stephen Furtick. So I want to preach for a moment, and God told me to tell you this. It's always been in you. But God told him to tell him this. God told him It's that. always been in you. Now here's a friend. If you really want to hear from the voice from God, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God's word spoken directly to you audibly, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> but this is how many, and, and I would even say well-intended people. I don't think either of those men are intending to go down a road that they've clearly gone down, but this is dangerous to go that way. Here's a clip, however, from Priscilla Shear. She's the one that wrote and, and helped act and was the lead actor in a War Room movie that teaches this quite loudly. Here's what she says. Do you really expect and anticipate that the divine voice of God can be heard by you? Do you really think that he loved you enough to die for you, but doesn't love you enough to then talk to you? Now, friends, that is actually an insult to the word of God. That is a slight to the word of God. She is saying that the only way God can speak to you is God speaking to you directly. And I would say that's exactly right in the Word of God. To communicate anything else is actually a slight to the inspired, preserved, and perfectly infallible Word of God. But that is exactly what she's communicating. Here's Charles Stanley. It's a little bit strange, but here's Charles Stanley. Here's what he says. So you're, are you asking if God speaks specifically? And the answer is, yes, He does. Let me give you two or three examples. Speaking about buying groceries, on a particular day, I had a very short period of time, and so I wanted to buy a turkey for Thanksgiving. My time was really running out. I thought, well, I shouldn't do this now. I said, God, just show me what to do. It's like God said, go to this store, buy the turkey now. Against sort of my will, I went. 
I walked right in, straight to the right place, the right pound of turkey, walked right out, paid it, got back in the car in less than about 25 minutes. Did God tell me to go? Yes, he did. So friends, apparently, Charles Stanley's relationship with God is so close that God tells him what Thanksgiving turkey to buy. Now, the reality is that this is a modern-day form of Gnosticism. Remember, Gnosticism was the belief of those that Paul was addressing that said there's a special revelation that we have that you don't have that you need to get. And they use these claims to lift themselves up, whether knowingly or unknowingly. They are sharing these to let you know just how close of a relationship they have with God. And if you don't have that kind of relationship, then obviously there's something wrong with you. This is a modern form of Gnosticism. I think for that reason, one of our professors in college was wise when he said, be careful sharing personal illustrations, and if you do, make sure you're never the hero. But this is a weird way of saying God spoke to me directly. Here's another example from Beth Moore. I was in prayer, and as plain as day, God put a picture in my mind of a metro uh, bus stop in Houston in a certain part of Houston that was nowhere close to my home. I had to drive about 30 minutes to get there. And I jotted down on a note what I felt like God was saying. He didn't talk to me out loud. I felt it in my spirit. I, j I jotted down on a piece of paper, take money with you, I will show you who to give it to. I get in the car, so now I go drive to the bus stop. I pull up. I don't know anything about the bus stop schedule. I do not have any idea, even now, how often the bus comes. Nothing. I know absolutely nothing. I know absolutely nothing. So I'm just sitting there in my car. So I look, because this is when you kind of feel silly and go, I probably made this up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, and I thought that morning, what if I'm making this up? And I thought, well, you know, what? so what? He's not going to despise me because I thought I understood him to say so-and-so. I was trying to do what I thought he told me to do, so I made it up. She might have, is what my answer to that. <laughs> there, there's actually a longer clip I can't show this evening, but I encourage you to go home and watch it if you'd like to. Just Google Beth Moore combing someone's hair. And she has a longer clip, about six-minute story she shares about how God spoke directly to her in the airport, I believe, or somewhere, to actually go up to a man that was clearly homeless and brush his hair. And uh, God said she was arguing with God, apparently, in her story, shouldn't I be witnessing to God? And God said to her, no, I want you to simply brush his hair. It's bizarre. It's weird. But this, she's not alone. In fact, it comes in surprising places, like I said. There's an idea that when you get a revelation, there might be a revelation that comes to you that you need to share with someone else. And you might not understand that revelation, but someone else might have that revelation, and they might understand it. So you need to, to, to humble yourself if you under, get a revelation like that and share it with someone else. This is what Matt Chandler is trying to explain. Here's what he Lord, says. What would you want me to encourage Danny with? And then I quiet again, trying to listen, and then automatically in my head, there's a picture of a ship, a pirate ship. And then there's, uh, there, there's like cannons on the pirate ship, and there's a shark chasing the pirate ship. Now, at that point, you're like, nope, no, not going to happen, right? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just step out, and you can even admit, like, we're growing together, and we're going to fail, and this is going to get weird. It's going to be awesome. Like, I'm just going to go to Danny, and I'm going to be like, hey, brother, 
You heard my sermon. I was praying. Danny, it was a pirate ship. It's a shark chasing it. There were cannons. I'm not going to interpret that for him. I'm not going to be like, what I think that means is that maybe you're stealing some stuff from people and Jesus is the shark and I, you need to repent. I'm, I'm not going to interpret that for him. I'm just going to go. And in a great deal of humility, I'm just going to be, does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me, actually, is what I'd say. And these are not coming from people necessarily. All, most of these that I just showed you are not coming from people who claim to be charismatic, actually. They, they're claimed to be other forms of denominations, and yet they still have these really quite bizarre... And you might ask, where is this coming from? Well, it really comes from a misunderstanding of John 10, 27. In John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's Robert Morris, and followed by Priscilla Shear. Here's what they say. That watch means. this carefully, and the sheep, watch, hear his Voice. Can, can you just say those three words? Hear his voice. It's so John 10, 27 to me is the most concise and comprehensive verse in Scripture about hearing God. Uh, it is when Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice, mm. I know them, and they follow me. Practically every single book and every single sermon that is out there that how, on how to hear the voice of God will use this verse to make their point. But the voice of the shepherd is connected to believing in the shepherd. If you have your Bibles, you can go to John 10. But I'm going to read it to you in verse 28. This is John 10, verse 28. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I give eternal life to them, and they never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's John 10, 28. The verse right after the verse that they're trying to quote. Dear friends, this verse is not talking about God telling you where to go to lunch today. That's not what this verse is talking about. This is a call to salvation. This is a call to regeneration. This is what theologians call the effectual call. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. That's the full verse. Before you and I came to Christ, we were lost sheep. But all of a sudden, we hear a voice... We lift up our heads, we see a shepherd, and we run to him. What a terrible trivialization of the effectual call to use that verse to communicate anything other than the beautiful, simplistic gospel that that passage is meant to convey. What is this verse talking about? It's talking about a lost sheep who heard the voice of his Savior. That's what that verse is talking about. But Rick Warren puts it this way. Last week... We began a new uh, mini-series on understanding how to hear the voice of God. Very few things are more important than this because you can't have a relationship to God if you can't hear God. If all you do is ever talk to Him in prayer and you never hear God speak to you, that's a one-way relationship. That isn't much of a relationship. That's pretty sobering. So according to these preachers, and certainly Rick here, if you never hear God speak to you directly, then you don't have much of a relationship with God. Again, this is a modern Gnosticism. We live in an era where the average person has very little understanding of God's objective revelation. 
That's the more sure word of 1 Peter 1, verse 19. And yet there are those who will push these weaker brothers and sisters to not only be okay with subjective impulses, but actually pursue them. How foolish. When the knowledge of Scripture is at such a low point in our history, this is the worst possible time for people to be looking for truth in dreams, in visions, and subjective impressions. To treat these subjective impressions as messages from the Holy Spirit is really no different than claiming divine revelation. Noted preacher and discernment lecturer, author of an excellent lesson called Clouds Without Water, some of which the clips that you just saw he uses in his lectures. There are four lectures to them. I encourage you to go watch them. His name is Justin Peters. He wrote a lecture called Clouds Without Water, speaking of these prophets, or so-called. He says, the cue to know God is speaking to you is when your eye is making contact in sequential fashion with the words written and the pages found within the Bible. He makes a great point. And again, I encourage you to go watch his lectures. His lecture is entitled Clouds Without Water, and they are worthy of your watch or listen. This belief in extra-biblical revelation, friends, is at odds with saying the Bible alone. Now, how does God speak? Specifically, does God speak directly to his people? As we have just learned, we must reject subjective impressions as being from God. And if we are going to be those who are people of the book, we must be people of the book this way. We must receive scriptural instruction as the only message from God. The Holy Spirit converts and sanctifies men and women through the instrument of the Word of God. As we've noted, for many years, faithful gospel preachers have fought the idea of the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Bible has everything necessary for salvation and growth and grace. That's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is all about. If you don't remember it, let me quote it for you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Somebody might say, well, that just says it's profitable. It doesn't say it's the only thing. But the next verse makes it clear that it is, in fact, the only thing. 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. That the men of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is the only thing. That's an explicit statement of the sufficiency of Scripture and what it means is that there is no need for additional revelation. The Bible equips you for everything that you need. It gives us explicit guidance from God. Here's the major premise. If a person and an instrument perform the same task, the person is working by the instrument. Therefore, everything the Holy Spirit, person, does in a man's conversion and sanctification, that's the task, the word, the instrument, does. Does that make sense to you? Follow my logic here? If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, how do you hear from the Holy Spirit? Through the Word. What does the Word do? Let me just give you a few. I'll put them all on the screen. You're born of, it makes alive, it testifies, it reproves, it comforts, it frees from sin, it leads, it bears witness, it gives hope, it has power, washes, sanctifies, justifies, gives faith, changes, produces, strengthens, gives understanding, dwells in, fellowships. You could continue to make the chart. 
Now, all those references are there. I went through quickly for sake of time, and if you'd like these chart, I'll send it to you. Therefore, the Holy Spirit converts and sanctifies men by the instrument of the Word of God. Again, how do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Answer, through God's Word alone. But this quest for additional revelation from God actually denigrates the sufficiency of the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Jude 3 puts it this way. Exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints to suggest that extra-biblical revelations are worthy of our consideration assumes that we have this need for more truth from God than what was written in his word. But that's precisely where many churches are at. As I mentioned on, one, on Sunday, or Wednesday night, there are those that say, we believe in a closed canon of Scripture, on one hand, but on the other hand, they believe in an open canon for living. And as I would say, you can't have your canonicity cake and eat it too. But take the statement of faith you can find directly off Calvary Chapel's website even today. It speaks and saves as two more. After all, Jude 3 does say, exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Here's an example, just an example locally. Here's Calvary Chapel's beliefs. We believe in the inerrant word of God as the foundation for our lives. We teach verse by verse, cover to cover, believing all scripture is give God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I agree with that. I'm thankful for that. But in the same statement, scrolling down to their beliefs about the Holy Spirit, you read this. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to his church today, just like they were in the early church. All the gifts? That means the gift of prophecy as well. Well, apparently so. Calvary Chapel is actually a national organization with over 1,000 congregations. On their national website, they describe themselves doctrinally this way. Calvary Chapel is evangelical, charismatic, pre-tribulationist, and maintains the principle of sola scriptura. Now let me ask you, how can you be both charismatic and maintain the principle of sola scriptura? John MacArthur pastors in California where Calvary Chapel started, so he writes a lot about it. And he calls this the oxymorons of our Christian community. (laughs) You can't be both charismatic and sola scriptura. Here's what John Owen said, an old Puritan. Have you ever read Old Puritans? You should. He says, if private revelations agree with Scripture, they are needless. And if they disagree, they are false. If we really believe the principle of sola scriptura, how can we be seeking the voice of God in subjective experience? The Holy Spirit works through and only through the word of God in the conversion and sanctification of both alien sinners and Christians. Here's what John 6 says in verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The scriptures supply everything we need to successfully live for Christ. Will you commit to making the word of God your rule for life and your guide to heaven? Here's what James says in James 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's what's able to save your soul. 
The Bible is God's message to us. Trust it. Lean on it. Ultimately, the Word of God is the only and ultimate test of truthfulness. Every prophet, every teacher, every movement that claims to be from God must be tested according to God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, God cannot deny himself. By the way, any of those earlier so-called prophets that were wrong, what would have happened in the early Old Testament times if they had been wrong quite famously? You know the answer. We're just a sheepish to say it. They would have been stoned is what they would have happened. Therefore, every true prophecy that comes from God will be according to his word. Now, these two things cannot coexist. Belief that God still speaks out of Scripture and in a closed canon. These things cannot coexist. As I already mentioned, you cannot have your canonical cake and eat it too. You cannot say the closed canon of Revelation is closed with the 66 books of the Bible we have, and yet also say there is more Revelation. But how does the Spirit speak? Number three, we must rightly recognize the Spirit's involvement in illumination. To whatever degree urges and feelings you may have are true, they are true as a result of the Spirit's illumination and nothing else. What is illumination? Illumination is when the Holy Spirit applies God's word to our hearts and opens our spiritual eyes to its truth. And we need to guard carefully beyond that against allowing our experience or our own subjective thoughts to eclipse the authority and the certainty of Scripture, which is, as we've mentioned many times, a more sure word. As believers, we have received God's truth and understanding, and the Holy Spirit now becomes our illuminator. If I can recall to your memory the illustration from last Sunday evening, the Holy Spirit is much like a spotlight when you go to a play or a performance. When you go to those performances, you go to not stare at the spotlight, but you go to watch the ones whom the spotlight is shining on. And even so, the Holy Spirit's job is to take the light of Scripture and shine it on Christ. That's enlightenment. The Holy Spirit grants us light. Every person is born alienated from God and lost. Yet there is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that John 10 even talks about that draws people to God. And Paul writes about this in his letter to the Corinthians when he says in 2 Corinthians, and I'll put it on the screen, but if our gospel be hid, it is to hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the lights of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the Holy Spirit... And Jesus Christ's work together for illumination to give us light in our darkness. Jesus Christ was the physical person who died for our sins and rose again. The Holy Spirit uses Christ's finished work to illuminate that truth. And while the Holy Spirit is not specifically mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 6, the Holy Spirit's ministry of illumination is described in Isaiah's prophecies. Here's what Isaiah would say. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and knowledge, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit that would grant 
light. But understand why light is needed. We need to see how dark this world really is. One quick look at the evil and wickedness of our world. It is clear that Satan has blinded unbelievers to God's goodness, God's grace, God's truth, and God's faithfulness. I appreciate what these two wise theologians have said on this matter. Weir and Wearsby puts it this way. The mind of the lost sinner is blinded by Satan. And fallen man finds it easier to believe lies than to believe truth. And Satan keeps lost sinners in the dark. David Lowry says in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, like a, like a deaf critic of Bach or a blind critic of Raphael is the unregenerate critic of God's word. This is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. There are those who understand the spiritual, and there are those who do not. And this knowledge seems to be connected to the book of life, which includes the names of all those who know and follow God. Again, still in 2 Corinthians, it says in chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Sadly, there are those who do not know God and have a hard time understanding God's spiritual truths of whom they need the light. How do we turn the lights on? The Word. And the Holy Spirit is also then our guide. When I taught the Bible was our ultimate authority several years ago, I made a big deal about how the writers of the Bible were not using their own words to write the Bible, but instead they were recording God's word through their personality. Not that they were dictated, but that God led them through the Spirit. That's what 2 Peter 1 was all about. They did not teach based on human understanding. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and they recorded Scripture. It was inspired the moment uh, feather went to parchment. We could put it that way. I was going to say ink went to paper, but that didn't quite work. 1 Corinthians says it this way, Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Holy Spirit was active in the lives of believers to record Scripture, and the Holy Spirit remains active in the lives of believers today to understand Scripture. Jesus put it this way in John 14, verse 26. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. By the way, what are the things that Jesus said unto them? Well, we get to explore those in the Gospels, do we not? More than that, Jesus is the Word, so it's very really truly said that even in other places of the Scripture, we are reading Jesus. The bottom line now is that God, Jesus has ascended to the throne. He is at the right hand of God, and the Holy Spirit is shining a spotlight on Jesus by shining the light on the Word. You don't need an explicit message from God telling you whom to marry or what job to take and where to serve on the mission field. If you obey the explicit commands and the implicit principles found in Scripture, you can trust God to direct your walk. The Lord orders your steps by providence, not by private revelation. Did I ever think that I'd be preaching in Florida? No, I hadn't been to Florida before I came here. But by providence, here I am in Florida, some Yankee guy in Florida. 
The Holy Spirit has an active ministry in the lives of believers. He wants us to know him and partner with him. He indwells us. He wants to guide us. Next time you read the Bible, you can actually ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to walk with you, to direct you. You can pray what the psalmist says in the Psalm 119 psalm, which is all about the word. Open you my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. That's what you can pray. More than a few times. I am sure you have had the same experience where you know you should read God's word, but maybe the enthusiasm and excitement of reading God's word is absent at that moment. And if you're honest enough to admit that, I'm thankful for your humility, and the rest of us that are on that side would welcome you into the humble club. Because we know that that's true. There are times when you'd say, I know I should read the word of God, but I feel like I'm just on a jaunt into the desert without any water. I need help. What do you do? You can pray Psalm 119, and you can actually pray, as John MacArthur puts it on his message on the Spirit, God, would you give me new taste buds on the tongue of my heart so that what should taste good to me does taste good to me. In closing, let me reiterate what this whole issue and why this whole issue is so very, very important. I fear that the idea that we can somehow receive more revelation than that which is already enclosed in the canon of Scripture is most of brought unto by little study on this matter, very little understanding of this matter. We might say, what difference does it make if we believe this or not? Do we really need to even separate from teachers who may say this? Are we just parsing out this issue with a fine-tooth comb? You know, one of my historical hero figures is Charles Spurgeon, who occasionally fell into this tendency of looking for special revelation out of Scripture. But Spurgeon saw the dangers of it and called it out for what it is. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Some I know fall into a vicious habit, namely of ordering their footsteps according to impressions. Every now and then I meet people whom I think to be rather weak in the head, who journey from place to place and perform follies by the, by the gross, under the belief that they are doing the will of God because of some silly whim that is imagined to be an inspiration from above, like brushing someone's hair or going to a bus stop with money. He's talking about the practice by some who, if they're going from place to place, Imagine that God tells them to go up to a door and knock on it to speak to a person about Jesus, which is a good and noble thing, but somehow because of the numbers above the door and the numbers that they saw on a phone number, somehow they believe God must have used that through numerology. And you always hear about amazing coincidences that happen as a result of staggeringly bizarre circumstances. And what you don't hear are the multitudinous disasters and embarrassing situations that arise from that line of thinking. Not everybody wants their hair brushed by you. Spurgeon continues, there are occasionally impressions by the Holy Spirit where no other guidance could have answered the end. But to live by these impressions is oftentimes to live the life of a fool and even to fall into downright rebellion against the revealed word of God. Your impression may proceed from Satan, from your own distempered brain, 
What you ought to pray is that God order your steps according to his word. Elsewhere, Spurgeon said, I have little confidence in those persons who speak of having direct revelations from the Lord as though he appeared otherwise than by and through the gospel. His word is so full, so perfect, that for God to make any fresh revelation to you or me is quite needless. To do so would put dishonor upon the perfection of that word. End quote. This belief, this idea, that extra revelation, biblical revelation can come to you through a still small voice or some weird whisper is actually not just nebulous and trivial. It is at, the, at very odds with and fighting against a belief in sola scriptura. You could either say the Bible alone or you can say there's more revelation, but you cannot have both. So how does God speak today? Specifically, how does God speak directly to his people into their minds and hearts? Again, I'll say, Scripture never commands us to tune into an inner voice. We are commanded to study and meditate on Scripture. We have a certain revelation that many of us hold in our laps tonight that we may not have treated with the reverence, respect, and diligence that it deserves. So I wonder Paul says, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Because frankly, it'd be a whole lot easier if when I leave this evening, I have some kind of vision that tells me exactly what to do. And maybe it's because of the easier route that we so crave, that we so crave these extra biblical insights. Rather than being the kind of studious students of God's word, that actually go to it and say, this is my more sure word. I don't need anything else. I don't need the latest and greatest book off the shelf, or even for that matter, the old one. What I need is the one that's inspired from God. Say, is that pretty regimented and strict? Yes, it is. Because to build our foundations on anything else enters into the conversation all kinds of weird scenarios. We close with these thoughts. If someone comes and says, I have a revelation, a prophecy, some kind of new idea. Several questions should come to mind. How do we know it's actually from God? And, and, and we have to have some kind of, kind of rule, rubric in order to determine that, don't we? Because there could be any number of people that could come to us. And so maybe in order to do that, we have to establish some kind of council over which to oversee all these new revelations. And if they are, in fact, from God, if they are actually revelations from God, shouldn't they be for everybody at once? And if they should be for everybody, or even for a small group, shouldn't we write them down? And if we're writing them down, who gets to decide what gets included in the manual we're now creating? And if we're creating a manual, then who's over the press for that manual? And if there's someone over the press for that manual, certainly there's someone over the preachment of those books. And if someone's over the preaching of those books, certainly someone has to ordain those who are preaching those books. And what we just invented is the papacy. You say, really? Yes. That's exactly where this logically leads. But if we stop ourselves in our tracks and say, the word of God alone, 
then we can, with the reformers of Luther, say we want the word of God in the laps of the plowboy so that the plowboy can understand the word just as much as the priest who was at that time preaching in Latin. Why was it that these were so willing to be martyred that the word of God would be in the language of the common man? What motivated their thought process? It was a clear understanding of how the Spirit spoke. And if they thought somehow subjective impressions were sufficient, then they would not have given their life for the Word. But they gave their life for the Word because they recognized that's how the Spirit speaks. A lot of material this evening, but I hope it'll be a help to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. And again, Lord, we say that, but may we not just brush past it. Lord, this really does matter. And I do fear in our modern evangelical climate, we have so brushed past these conversations that we are almost having to have the same conversations of the reformers to bring people back to the treasured understanding of the sufficiency of the Word of God. And how sobering is to think that we live in a a nation and in a culture that not only has the Word available to them, but we have it in many good translations. And yet we have so forgotten that that we bypass the Word of God and go straight towards a new book from some new author. Lord, may we come back to a right understanding of your Word.